I'm Steve McLeod and this is Bootstrapped. It's a podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies or wanting to run one. I run two bootstrapped software products, Feature Upvote, which lets your customers vote on ideas to improve your product, and Sabre Feedback, which offers a feedback widget you can add to your website. Follow along as I learn from talking to other bootstrappers and experts, and just maybe you'll learn something too. I'm joined today by Derek Grigg. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thanks, Steve. Nice to be here. Derek runs PageProofer. I really appreciate Derek coming onto the show to talk about PageProofer because actually it's a competitor to one of my own products. Derek, tell us briefly what PageProofer is and what it does. Sure. It's a visual feedback tool. So it's a, a tool that you can add to websites when you're doing site development or even uh, after you've launched your site to collect feedback on your site, mostly from uh, designers, developers, marketing people that may be doing content on your site. If they notice something that's wrong or if they want to do a content change, they can quickly uh, leave a note, almost like a virtual sticky, right on your uh, website. And the people that are working on your website get a notification and can go and make that change. So this works with uh, sites that are publicly visible. So anybody can do the feedback or is it just people, is it just on private sites? Actually both. So it does work on local development sites, staging sites where you have it restricted to a small team or even public sites. You can still restrict the feedback to team people or you can open it up to the general public as well. And this is a B2B SaaS model, right? The SaaS being software as a service where people pay a monthly subscription or annual subscription. Yes, that's correct. Tell us a little bit why and when you started PageProofer, the creation story, if you will. Sure. It's the classic, there's got to be a better way to do this, was uh, kind of the the genesis behind PageProofer. The other business that I do is website development as a a contractor. And when I was uh, just in my early stages of that career, uh, working with a lot of creative agencies, a lot of marketing agencies, there was a lot of feedback that goes back and forth while you're building websites with, you know, changes, bugs that need to get fixed, things that just need to get changed on the website. And there was, there literally was no good way to manage all of that information. I would get uh, bombarded with emails, text messages, uh, spreadsheets with long lists of things that needed to get edited. Uh, sometimes you would even get a PDF where people had done print screens of the website and and really gone through and, and, and marked it up with a marker or with a virtual marker and just it kind of called out all the things that needed to get changed and it was just super frustrating very very difficult to keep track of all the feedback and it it was just it was I had one of those moments where I just I was getting frustrated on a project and said there's got to be a better way to to manage all this information and um, and kind of sat down one weekend and, and started plugging away at it that was around 2009 2010 I think worked away at it for the initial version, very, very rough uh, MVP, took uh, about a month or two to pull together. Um, started to you know, get things ready to be able to do some type of a, a beta launch. And then Steve Jobs made his infamous uh, Flash is Dead proclamation. And of course, I had written PageProofer in Flash, taking advantage of a lot of the, um, the, the things that just were 
kind of embedded into the Flash player at that point. If I can um, interrupt, do you think Steve Jobs was intentionally aiming at you when he said that? Like it was you he wanted to hurt when he said Flash is dead? I didn't take it personally, but it, it certainly, it, it definitely, it hurt. It hurt that uh, one, I had put a lot of work into this specific uh, product and, and now I, I knew um, if Apple was not going to be supporting it, there just, there wasn't any reason in, in going forward with it. And, uh, and two, a lot of the development work that I did was also uh, Flash-based work as well. So uh, it was kind of like a, you know, a, a double gut punch from, from Steve Jobs that uh, I had to deal with. They say, they being the experts, that you should use solid established technologies that you know well when you're studying a product rather than some new flashy thing that, oh, flashy, that's the wrong word to use here, <laughs> <laughs> some novel um, technology that might not last. But actually, it was the opposite case here. I mean, back in 2010, nothing was as uh, established on the web as Flash. Uh, yeah, it's, and that was really why I chose to go on it. Like, it seemed like a very solid technical place to build or a technical solution to build a page proofer on top of it embedded in literally any browser, any modern browser at that point. The kicker was that it, it didn't or wasn't going to work in mobile devices. And I knew at that point, as soon as uh, Steve made that announcement that they weren't going to support Flash in, in mobile devices and knowing that mobile devices were really growing, I, I just said to myself, it doesn't make any sense. So it was literally back to the drawing board. The, the timing could not have been worse. Uh, we had a newborn in our house at that time. We have four kids. That was the fourth that just arrived. Uh, we were planning on moving houses. So it was just, um, you know, on top of everything else being chaotic in my life to have that, all that work uh, quite literally flushed down the drain really, really hurt. And uh, it took a few years for it to finally, the product to get rewritten in, in HTML and JavaScript, which uh, just took a lot more work than having done it in Flash because you didn't have the same tools available. Uh, and by that point, um, there were some other competitors in the market that had uh, had kind of gone public in the interim. So now, in addition to having completely rewritten it, I, I faced a big uphill challenge in trying to market it into a, a space that now had some competition where initially there were none or at least none that I was aware of. So you lost that early mover advantage first yes. things in the market. Hey, just to help our listeners gauge the size of page proof as a business, do you mind telling us what stage you're at? For example, is it a profitable side project? Is it your main source of income as a one-person show or is it bigger than that? Sure. It's a profitable side project at this point. It's about 20, 20 to 25% of my income right now. So starting from zero to get to 25%, um, I'm actually quite happy with that. I wish it was 100% of my income so that I wouldn't be doing the uh, contracting work, I'd, I'd really love to be full time on it, but uh, that just hasn't panned out that way. But it is nice that every year it's it's becoming a more significant part of my overall income. So I know I'm on the the path to getting there. It's uh, slow do you have and steady. some sort of do you have some sort of grand plan to get there, or are you just happy to let it slowly d d develop? Uh, um, not a specific grand plan. I mean, I'm I'm trying different things, different marketing strategies. I Really, at this point, I think I've exhausted all of the kind of the the uh, get market share quick things that I've, I've stumbled across. A lot of them have been uh, uh, failures. I, I've, I've kind of learned the hard way. I guess there is no easy way to build uh, a market quickly. Uh, it just it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of uh, time. Uh, so I'm just kind of continuing down that uh, path. 
slowly. <laughs> yeah, it is slowly, isn't it? Uh, you never realize until you're doing it, especially with a B2B SaaS, just how slow the growth can be. You said yeah. it was about 10 years ago you started and then the, the flash incidents incident lost you some time. How long did it take you to get back on track after that? Uh, it took me about two or two and a half years to get really fully back on track with uh, kind of getting life settled back down again to a point where I just had time to even be able to work on it and then uh, take the time to get it developed and launched. And then I launched it uh, late summer, early fall of 2013 uh, to no fanfare, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> did you try to and get fanfare? I did. I was in a few kind of developer groups. So I, I reached out to everybody that my network of, of people, I mean, I shouldn't say no fanfare. There was a, a small amount of fanfare, but I just, I didn't have a big audience to broadcast to, which in hindsight, that is really the one thing that I, I wish I had had established in advance was an audience, but I don't, uh, right at the, at the time, sorry, I I didn't really have any content to establish an audience with. Uh, so I've over time have, have generated content on page proofer and, and built an audience of, you know, trial accounts and paid customers that, um, you know, are, are interested in what page proofer does and are interested in the, the marketing and the, the content, but um, kind of pre-launch, I didn't have any of those place or those pieces in place. Derek, the truth is most of us don't. Uh, again, the experts tell us, and I think very correctly, that you should try to do the marketing and build an audience already before you release your product. But, you know, especially us developers, we just want to get and build something on the weekend or in a couple of months that that we think that's all it will take. Of course, it takes us a lot longer. And then we worry about audience or marketing afterwards. Definitely the wrong way to do it, but you're not alone. Right. Oh, well, it makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> So now you do have an audience of such, is that like via an email newsletter or some other means in which you, uh, you reach out to yeah, people? So I mean, the website, uh, just the, the kind of the content, the blog posts, and then I do uh, a semi-regular email that goes out to all of our, um, I call them customers, but customers and I guess trial subscribers, anyone who signed up or um, anyone who's been added as a user, because you can, once you have an account, you can invite other people to use page proofer. So really anybody who has had a touch point with page proofer, uh, okay. is included in that email. And then, um, so yeah. they're, they're signed in by default and then they can unsubscribe. Is that the e model? Exactly. Yeah. That's one of the, the terms of conditions is you agree to, uh, um, a, a not uncomfortable amount of, of email marketing from us. I, I try and I'm one of these people that just, I don't want a lot of stuff in my inbox. I don't know that a lot of people do. So, I try not to bombard people. I, I find that services that I've signed up for, if they send emails on a, you know, a weekly or biweekly basis, it's just, it's too much information. It's so much noise. I'd rather get one really good email from a company every once in a while, as opposed to uh, a bunch of chatter that I'm just going to completely filter out. So how often are you sending the newsletters on average? Uh, about once every four to six weeks right now. Oh, that sounds good. I'd say if it was less often than that, then you'd be doing yourself a disservice because that's long enough for some people to think to themselves, who's this page proofer? What is this? I don't remember any page proofer. Yes. Yeah. And that was a, another lesson learned when I first started. I And again, it, it comes down to content. I had no content to share with people. When you're first starting as a developer, your mindset is feature, feature, feature. So all of mm -hmm. my time was spent 
developing features and not working on marketing, not working on content. So now I've, I've kind of, I think I've changed my mindset around to giving marketing the importance that it needs or the mind share that it needs and, um, and trying to get that message out. And I've also just, I have better tools in place now to be able to do email marketing. When I first started, I didn't, I don't even think I had MailChimp or anything set up when I first started doing it. I was, it was very, very manual. Um, and I sort of put in uh, pieces in place to be able to automate that. So, you know, a mailing list, I uh, started with MailChimp and now I moved over actually to something that just runs off of my website that saves a, quite a bit of money compared to MailChimp every month, which is nice and just more control over how the mail goes out and how it looks, which is good. So, And the deliverability, if you're using your own tool, do you find that you still get the same rate of emails landing in people's inboxes? Yep, same rate. Uh, I, it's all through um, reputable mail servers. So it's I haven't had any issues with uh, kind of any... Uh, increased amount of bounce backs or anything on the email and the open rates have stayed consistent, which has been good. I was concerned when I first switched that I would see a big drop and I've, I've seen it just be consistent, which has been good. What about time? Does this take you more time than it would just using MailChimp, having to manage the, the mail server yourself? It's, it's, actually, um, it's actually saved me time because in MailChimp, I was having to do a lot of extra work when I was trying to get my email messages together I, i'm a little ocd when it comes to how things look and i could never get the look completely right in mailchimp i was never completely satisfied with it so i would spend a lot of time unnecessarily tweaking the templates and things trying to get them to look right and the the way that i have it now running off of the website um they're off my own website it, or it it just works or looks the way that i want it to look the side benefit is that I can more tightly integrate it to with the main page proof for a system. So when mm. people sign up, uh, it's just easier to add people into the, the proper lists. It's easier to segment customer or it's easier to segment people based on, are they a customer? Are they a trial? Um, you know, have they canceled? Have they um, expired? Just different things. It's, it's easier to be able to manage those lists um, kind of internally, as opposed to trying to integrate with, uh, with, MailChimp or some other outside mail provider. What about the content that's in those newsletters? Is it blog posts about uh, general things related to your field or is it about what you've done to your product, what improvements you've made, or is it something else? No, a lot of it is updates or feature requests that people have sent in. Uh, so it's, it's notifying uh, the user base that those features are now available or if, if I get a lot of questions about you know, how people are, they're struggling with using PageProofer in a specific way or on a specific site. If, if I feel like there's something there that the larger community might want to know about or the larger PageProofer community might want to know about, uh, I can address that in that email. Um, if I come across an interesting article uh, about development or design, I might include that too. So it's, it's not a, a ton of um, overly interesting information, but it's just, it's enough, I think, that it does keep PageProofer hopefully front of mind for the people that are using it and uh, does provide a little bit of, of value. Um, I generally get a couple of emails back every blast that goes out just saying, hey, this is a feature that I was really looking forward to. So it's, it's kind of validation that I'm sending out the right kind of message and, and hitting the right people with it. Oh, that's sweet to actually get replies to your email newsletter. It, it doesn't happen often, but it, it, it does feel very nice when you see those come back into your inbox as opposed to the uh, unsubscribe me now emails, which are not always so friendly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Even, I guess you have the unsubscribe link at the bottom of the emails, right? 
yeah, people don't yeah. always read the entire email, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, those those are annoying. It's like, okay, well, you've sent me an angry unsubscribe. Let me just click that little link for you at the bottom that instantly unsubscribes you. Uh, yeah, some people are just angry. Yes, yeah. So that's your that seems to be your strategy for um, cultivating the existing uh, trial users or people who have tried it and to keeping the current customers uh, happy. What about getting people onto that list in the first place or getting them to your site to sign up? What's your main strategy there? Biggest strategy is is just content marketing. Uh, so trying to write blog posts or special landing pages that would be that people would be looking for answers to. So around website development and, and website feedback uh, specific to kind of design and developers. Um, it's a lot of the content is not very exciting. It's, it's very <laughs> difficult to, you, you're probably struggling with this with Sabres. You're looking at it and you're trying to say to yourself, you know, where do I start? What, what do I write that's intriguing? What are people looking for? It is a very niche market. So trying to come up with interesting content or original content, there are, there's enough competitors out there that everybody is probably having the same ideas and they're writing similar things. I've seen so many top 10 lists, top five lists. I'm, I'm sick of them. Uh, so I'm trying to come up with better ways of, of communicating, you know, gathering feedback or, or why it's important for people or, you know, there's better ways of doing it. Uh, kind of around that theme and, and even just general things around small business and design and develop uh, or developer um, interest things. Those, you know, people might not be looking for feedback tools at that specific moment, but they might come across that article and it has a little bit of a tie into feedback and it'll just plant that seed that in the future they'll remember, oh, hey, I came across this website. They had this cool feedback tool. Uh, I know myself, I've, I've often done that. I've, I'm searching for things and I've stumbled across something else completely unrelated to what I'm looking for. But um, there's just something there that kind of catches my eye and I'll, I'll flag it for coming back to it at some point in the future. Okay. So you said content marketing, but it specifically seems to be the SEO side of content marketing. Yes, it's not that yeah. you're creating content and trying to push it in lots of places. You're just hoping that people will search for Google and your one of your articles will come up in the top come two up. spots. Yeah. Yes. The very the long tail, I believe, is the, the technical long, term long for tail. that. Yep. <laughs> Have you noticed lately just how many Google ads? Uh, see, did, wait, let's go back a bit. Do you browse with an ad blocker on? I do. Which do you, do you sometimes try browsing without an ad blocker on, and then oh, you see that I, that when you're trying to find one of your own articles or your site, there's like four ads in your site, even though it's ranking number one, it's like not even on the first page of results. Yeah. And, and, um, so for anyone in the listening audience, yourself included, because if I don't, uh, so feature upvote is feature upvote primarily marketed to developers. No, no. In fact, it was at first, and I realized that was a mistake. It was div it's um, marketed towards product managers. Okay. The so other people might... who have the role of um, working out what improvements to do to a product. So uh, so you may find this with Sabre feedback then. Developers love ad blockers. So <laughs> mm. you're, you're fighting an uphill battle already. And I, and I have found that. I never even really thought about it when I first started doing content marketing that Myself, I, I always run an ad blocker. I, I, I hate ads. Uh, it's so easy to install in a browser and just and knock all of that stuff out. And it didn't even dawn on me until I was probably like a year into doing this stuff. And I was like, why 
why are my search results off? Why, you know, why are these metrics not anywhere near where I thought they should be? And then I realized, I bet you everybody's using ad blockers, not just me. And um, yeah, I, I suspect that that's a huge issue for anybody marketing to developers is your, your audience literally does not want to hear your message. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe the solution is not to market to developers, but to find a, another category of uh, of potential users. Which yes, I, I have been trying. I'm always asking people who do sign up and who become heavy users of PageProofer. I try and do some research on them to find what market they're in. You know, are they kind of in the developer designer market that I would expect people to come from, or are they from somewhere else? If they're coming from somewhere else, I'll reach out to them and just say, hey, you know. I'm, just do a little survey. Uh, I've got a couple of questions. Would you mind answering? Uh, not everybody wants to answer, but the ones who do, I've been able to gather some interesting uh, information from them. And it's even turned into some articles as well. Uh, you can turn it into a bit of an article or an interview, sorry. It's just kind of you know, uh, FAQ with, with uh, a different market than what you anticipate. And you turn that into something. You, you ask people questions and you get content that you would have never come up with on your own. And that's been uh, really helpful. Did you say these were actual paying customers that you're reaching out to? Yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a really smart thing to do. I think more people should do it, but especially us developers, we tend not to want to reach out like that. We feel like we're intrusive. Yes. But often people are quite happy to, to talk and also feel flattered that you're actually asking them. And the ones who don't have time just won't answer. But much, much like you and I having this interview, I guess, I would have never expected to be doing a, a podcast with a, with a direct competitor. But yeah, we struck up a, a friendly conversation and, uh, and here we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> And you, it's good. You, more people hear about your site. You know, speaking of competitors, how do you see the competitive landscape? It seems to me there's a lot of competitors in this field we're doing, feedback tools for a website. How do you handle that huge competitive space? Do you ignore your competitors? Do you fixate on them or do you try to keep a healthy balance? I try and keep a healthy balance. When I first started, I was probably a little too fixated on my competitors. You know, being completely new to doing something like this, I really was learning everything right from scratch. So I thought, you know, let's look at the competitive landscape and see what they're doing. And if they're doing it, that's probably something that I need to be doing, which sometimes maybe that's the case. Sometimes it's actually different to zig when everybody else is zagging and do something a little bit different. And so I've, I've tried to do that with even just the way I, I have branded the PageProofer website. It's not like any of the other competitors or websites in, in kind of the competitive space that I'm in. Uh, at it's least a I don't damn, think it's damn good looking website, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, did you do that yourself or you yes. paid a designer? No, uh, it's all myself. I just, I've, I've, Again, because of the, the contracting work, uh, I deal a lot with designers. So I was able to bounce ideas off people and get some feedback and things. So, uh, but yeah, it's all done by yours truly. So thanks. I'm just looking at it right now. I'm actually jealous that you obviously have an eye for design. And in my head, I think I can see what I want when I'm trying to design something, but I can never make it come out the way I want it. The first few iterations of the site were not anywhere where I wanted them to be. Actually, I think I said this to you on a the chat we had a few weeks ago, I was until this recent version, I was actually embarrassed for the marketing side. I just, I didn't, I was never completely happy with it. Now it's finally at a, at a place where I, I do really like the way that it looks. I think it's, it looks the way that I would want a, a website to look and it functions the way that I want it to function. So I'm, I'm really happy with it, but uh, I, I intentionally tried to make it look different from 
other websites in, in the same marketplace. I tried to inject a little bit of humor into it, uh, which is kind of my own personality. Uh, I tried to be a little bolder with the colors, tried to stay away from kind of the, the stock illustrations and stock look that, that everybody seems to be going to, like Stripe and Slack, everybody. They read their websites and every SaaS on the planet said, oh, we need to make our website look yeah. just like these yeah. two. And there's, there's so many, yeah, there's so many other neat ways to make a site look interesting and original and uh, and kind of communicate your message and, and let your personality come through. And that's really what I wanted to do with it. And um, I think I've done I that. I hope I have. Yeah, I think you have. It's uh, it's hard to stand out and you seem to have found a way to have done it there. But it sounds like it took a lot of work and thinking and more work yes. and more thinking. More, lots of, uh, if this was a, a video podcast, people would see I, I have no hair. I have no hair. <laughs> And that's all because of page proofer. All because, yeah, well, all because of page proofer, and I'll blame four kids as well. So, <laughs> do you remember Joel Spolsky? Were you a reader of his blog back in the yes. uh, decade and a half ago? He had this great article. I don't know if it was an article or a paragraph. It was ignore your competitors, listen to your customers. And I think this is advice we don't take hard enough. Maybe it's too absolute. You have to have some little awareness of your competitors, but. We all do it all the time. We, we want to be like a competitors thinking that they've got it all worked out when often they're suffering just as much as us and it's the customers you have to listen to. What's your customer yes. asking you to do? That's important. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's the imposter syndrome. That's the, and the funny thing is in, in, in the SaaS world, I think unless they're really big companies, at some point, everybody's an imposter. Everybody's faking it. Everybody's just trying to make stuff up and make it stick. Uh, no one wants to admit to it, but I, I, I really believe that that's the, the yeah. case. And, uh, and some of us are um, maybe do a little better job of it than others. But you, you look at your competitors and I try and follow them a little bit on social media. I check in every once in a while just to see where things are at. And when you see other sites having you know, issues with, with their websites being down, with, uh, with things blowing up, I don't take pleasure in their pain, but I feel like it validates my own work a little bit to say, you know what, I'm not the only one who's screwing things up every once in a while. So it, it makes me feel a little bit better. I have an acquaintance who runs a one-person software company that must be doing close to a million dollars a year, highly profitable at that. And he's told me he suffers from imposter syndrome all the time. He doesn't feel like a real developer. And I'm thinking, how can you not feel like a real developer? You've made this thing that's earning lots of money. And, and it works upper, well. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I, flocks of developers would be looking at him and saying, you have it all together. Uh, our minds are our own worst enemies uh, often, unfortunately. We're running out of time, and there's two questions I still want to, to ask you before we finish up. So let's see what we'd, if we can get through them. First, what would you do different if you started again with the page proofer, that is? I just, I would have done things faster. I, I, I still really believe that that time between kind of 2010 and, and 2012, 2013 was, was time uh, I just didn't use wisely. Um, just getting to market faster, getting something out there. I should have been faster to get a, an MVP into the, into the public eye and, uh, and start to, to build a business. Uh, so I, I still regret that as uh Unfortunately, I'll, I'll probably kick myself about that for a long, long time, but that's definitely my biggest regret. Okay, so it took you a couple of years, if I recall. 
as yes. I understood yeah. earlier, right? And perhaps a couple of months would have been better. Yeah, I, yeah, a couple of months full time would have sufficed as opposed to a few years picking yeah. away at it evenings and weekends. I think you have followed the Saber feedback story back when Matt Beerman owned it. Yes. Uh, and he, he blogged that. I think it took him a weekend to get the first version out with a with a, a payment page. It didn't even work and he would have to manually process stuff and yeah. so on. I, that's, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I followed his journey. It was just, it, for me, it was really interesting seeing him blog because we were literally in the exact same space. So, and I think following the same path at very similar time. So it was, it was interesting to see his journey and, and kind of see his struggles that he was going through and being able to very easily relate to exactly what he was dealing with. So it was, uh, um, yeah, I was, I was definitely, a, a an avid reader of his, uh, of his posts. He, he, I think he mentioned that you could share, uh, share the crippling doubt he was experiencing. I liked that one. Yes. Okay. Last question I have for you, Derek. What tips would you have for a new competitor in this space? Maybe somebody who just acquired <laughs> a small product that's a direct, well, a directish competitor. I think my microphone's starting to short it. I don't know if I can answer that question. <laughs> hello. Hello. Are you there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Advice. I think it would be two things that we have discussed. One would be ignoring the competition, which I know you probably know that, but it's it's just probably good to hear it from somebody who is a competitor. You know, figure out what you need to do with Saber Feedback. Figure out its own unique message, and uh, and what makes it special in the market, and then find a way to be able to communicate that. I think those would be the the one. The other would be just stay the course. Uh, it's been a challenge. Any business is a challenge. I've found doing something completely on your own is, is probably the most challenging thing I've ever done professionally. Um, I've always been a bit of a lone wolf. I've worked independently for, oh, it's probably going on close to 20 years now, which is hard to believe. But doing page proofer completely alone has been really, really challenging. So it, it, the ups are really great and the downs really suck. But being able to get up every day and just say, you know what, I'm not quitting today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and some days it, that you're really dragging yourself out of, uh, you know, out of bed and, and down to the office to be able to plug away stuff that you really don't feel like doing. And, uh, and other days it feels like an absolute joy to be in front of your computer and working away at stuff that you know people are finding uh, valuable and they're paying you money to do. But just staying that course and kind of trying to not be too high and not be too low. But uh, it's, um, yeah, mentally it's... Uh, it's a struggle, but uh, it's it's worth it, or it's it's been worth it for me at least. So, it sounds like you've described the last twelve years of my life too. <laughs> like it's <laughs> so hard sometimes to you know you just have to keep grinding away, but to actually make yourself do that when there's no external pressure to meet deadlines or to actually do something today, that's tough. Yeah, uh, yeah, being able to self motivate and self motivate and self regulate. Um, Especially, what, I think. What's the self-regulate? What does that mean? So, self-motivate. You know, get yourself motivated to work, and then self-regulate. Get yourself to be able to stop working. I'm awful at that. I can self-motivate very easily. I have an awful time self-regulating, being able to know when to shut it off. Uh, mm. If when you work for yourself and you work from home, it's very easy to never not be working. And it, it's interesting. I've talked to more people about that, just with all the the COVID nineteen and the and the lockdowns and people working from home. And, you know, people struggling with trying to figure out how to work from home and, and do stuff. And those have kind of been the two 
things that I've tried to stress to people is uh, being able to motivate yourself uh, when you're not going to an office and you're not around a, a, a team every day and then being able to shut it off when you need to as well for uh, kind of just self-health and uh, self-preservation. Yeah, the nine to five has some advantages for all its disadvantages. The idea that when it comes five o'clock or whatever end time is, you're done. You close the door, you walk out, you now go to a different environment. And it's that real mental idea that you're now not in work mode, you're in other mode. Yes. Yeah. That's it, it, it's, it's really key. Derek, that's all we have time for today. So I want to thank you again for being on the show. Great. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me and uh, all the best with Sabre Feedback. Not uh, smashing success, but definitely success. <laughs> <laughs> all the best with Page Proofer too. It's been insightful. I would even say generous for you to talk so openly with a competitor of sorts. So we will have a link to Page Proofer in the show notes if anybody would like to check it out and to look at that very, very attractive website. And of course, you can also find Derek on our bootstrapped forums. He is a regular there. Okay, bye, Derek. Thanks, Steve. Bye. Bye, everybody. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm.